Welcome back, Girl Scouts. This is the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience Podcast. Okay, this episode is inspired by a leader's really interesting question slash problem that I think is really universally relatable. This leader says, I'm a second year Daisy leader. Last year, we had around seven active girls, and this year we have 12. It's been a rough, rough year. There are some girls whose behavior is difficult, and difficult was in all caps there. I have a lot of grace for them. I fully expect everyone to have a rough meeting here and there, and I fully expect a six-year-old to need to wiggle, move, and not spend too long on one activity. This is past that. In the beginning of the year, I didn't have a dedicated co-leader and had parents who were registered each volunteering to help lead each meeting. And after each time, literally the parents were blown away by the behavior. I had one say she feels like we need an extra adult there to corral the girls. Overall, it's about two who are 100% out of control and then three who are super wiggly and need to be redirected every 60 seconds. But they distract everyone else and cause so much diversion in our meetings. I spoke with a parent yesterday who helped at the last meeting and she said it was out of control. There are about five girls who are committed and just want to sit, listen, and do what they're there for. This parent also told me she was at the last field trip we did and she was mortified by our girls' behavior and she thinks we should not take them on any more field trips without doubling the ratio requirements. She also feels it would be dangerous in a public place because some of the girls run away and don't listen. I don't know what to do. I've sent a couple of emails about behavior. The two girls who are having the biggest issue, I've emailed about them individually. One was really defensive and rude, and the next meeting was awful with that girl. I spoke with the parent in person, and she made me feel almost like she thinks I'm lying to her. I've asked her or her husband to sit in on a meeting, and she pretty much won't. I don't even know how to handle it all. I'm seriously considering leaving and starting a new troop and only allowing a small number of girls whose parents are also involved. How do I continue it this year? Any help would be great. Woof, so relatable, right? How many people listening have felt like this before? The parents aren't involved, they don't take action on something you ask for help with, the kids feel out of control and you aren't getting anything done, the meeting's so loud that the girls who are focused can't even hear the instructions, and you don't understand how other leaders all over the country are doing this and have done this for a century, and yet you cannot get it together. In the moments that you blame yourself, you might feel like you're failing. Or, at the very least, you're not sufficiently prepared. There have to be some answers or some training or coaching out there that will be like flipping a light switch, and then you might be able to do it. And in the moments where you don't feel like it's you that's the problem, well, then it must be the girls who are the problem. Other people have totally calm six-year-olds who are polite and respectful, and you have, well, a few of them, but then you also have these uncontrolled, wild, untamed beasts of children who just make everything more difficult. And oh man, in those moments, the resentment toward those specific problem children is so real. But these are six-year-old tiny humans, literally little girls. Even if you have girls older than daisies. I mean, for me, my troop, our biggest struggle was 
with fourth graders. So completely different age group, quote unquote, old enough to know better, but still the exact same feelings. And then even more so because you're constantly thinking to yourself, you are old enough to know better. So before I really dig into my thoughts about how to handle this, because I do have a lot of thoughts about it, I want to start with some of the suggestions that the leader actually had in her own post. One of the things she said was that another parent helper in her troop said they can't do any more field trips unless they double the adult ratio. So if that's a little confusing, here's some backstory because I started a safety activity checkpoints episode, but I haven't recorded it or posted it yet. So ratio is a term in Girl Scouts that refers to the number of adults to girls depending on the scenario and grade level of the girls. Girl Scouts has it all laid out in the safety activity checkpoints document, which you can literally Google search it if you need it. But essentially, it's two unrelated adults with at least one being female per however many girls per level. So for daisies, it's six. So two adults for the first six daisies. And then they go on to say one extra adult for every one to four daisies. So in this leader scenario, if all 12 of her girls were going on a trip, Girl Scout safety ratios determine that they should have four adult volunteers. If you want to look at the rest of the ratios so you can determine for your own group, if you don't already know, then I will put a link to the safety activity checkpoints document. However, please note that some things do vary by state, so you should always get the information from your council directly when we're talking about safety. Now, with ratios, I am very certain that it's the same no matter what state you're in, but other safety questions always, always get information from your council's documentation directly. Okay, so the first suggestion by a parent helper in this troop was to double that ratio. Now, I'm assuming that essentially this was saying four adults was not nearly enough to corral their 12 active girls. Now, if not all 12 girls could attend and they still felt this way about field trips, then they may have only had two or three adults there, but that's not the point. I'm personally not taking the doubling suggestion literally, moreover, just the idea of sending more adults along on trips because the minimum required is by far not enough. So let's talk about diverging from the ratios for a minute. On one hand, we do not like to diverge from the ratios too far, particularly for meetings, because it does change the experience. First of all, we want girls to be learning independence and for the experience to feel girl-led, and too many adults does dilute that experience. In addition, girls act differently in front of their own parents, sometimes for the better and sometimes it can have the opposite effect. Some girls can really regress when they are with their own parents and a large group of other families, so it completely varies. The other difficulty with increasing the number of adults is that adults who participate in activities, especially trips, have to be registered and background checked. This can be a challenge to get more and more adults cleared, not because the adults wouldn't pass a background check, but because it can be challenging to get enough adults who are willing to register and submit one. So if you struggle with that, just know you are not alone. Some troops make it just completely part of the process like as a girl registers we need a corresponding adult a parent or guardian who also registers however you can't exclude a girl because her parent is not willing to register so you cannot make it quote unquote required 
There are 10,000 reasons why it might happen, and none of them are the girl's fault or responsibility. So you still have to include a girl, even if her parent is not cooperative. But you don't have to include the parent. In fact, you can't bring them along if they are not registered and background checked. Additionally, there's training. So troop leaders usually have training they go through, especially as we really dive into travel and outdoors progression. There's first aid certification and usually a myriad of other trainings. Now, this is going to vary by council. First, about how much training there is, and second, whether or not it's effective. But either way, more adults involved means fewer of them are trained or certified, which can actually be challenging because then you have to correct adults based on what you were trained to do or not to do. They don't know the safety activity checkpoints. They probably aren't first aid certified. They might not know anything about child psychology at that age or Girl Scout programming or traditions, but they are parents and guardians to children of the same age, so they will make decisions and take action. And that might not always correspond well with the message you're trying to send your girls. For example, the girls in my troop know that they are responsible for capers, which are basically chores or responsibilities, especially when traveling, but even at a regular troop meeting. We as adult volunteers in my troop do not clean up after the girls, and no girl is off the hook when it comes to cleaning up. But we had a parent helper who came on a camping trip who thought it was ridiculous that the girls were supposed to clean the toilets, sweep the floors, and wipe down the mattresses in the cabin before we could leave, among other chores, of course. And she told her daughter and a couple of girls who were with her that they could go play while we cleaned. I was livid. And that was really challenging because what were those girls supposed to do when they were getting mixed messages from adults? Obviously, they were going to do the option they liked better, which came from one girl's actual mom, which was to play. But I didn't even know where they went. So (laughs) I laid into them a bit about how they know better and the rest of their troop was literally scrubbing toilets while they were playing. But I digress. The point is, it can be challenging to dilute the ratio with too many adults. However, with all that being said, increasing the ratio in high-risk situations is encouraged and is spelled out right in the Safety Activity Checkpoints document. Some high-risk activities are deemed high-risk by the actual Girl Scouts organization, in which case that specific activity will have its own adult-to-girl ratio laid out. In addition, every single group is different, and Girl Scouts acknowledges this. Different individual girls, and therefore different groups of girls, are in different places, and we need to meet them where they are. This is all part of progression. The first obvious thing is, if an event would be too high of a risk for your troop to do it safely, do not do it. That's pretty clear. Is that disappointing for the one girl who might even be a leader daughter who is ready? Yes, but you have to get the group up to speed together by progressing to that point. Now, that can be true for anything. It could be a weekend, six hours away, primitive camping, but it can also be a simple field trip. Help your girls ease into it and progress step by step to be ready to continue elevating their experience over time. So part of that progression might include extra adults, especially 
especially with girls as young as daisies, a mom and me trip is an easy way to A, get extra adults, and B, help your troop with progressing their readiness to explore the world without mom. Now, of course, depending on your troop family situations, it might not work to do a literal mom and me event if a girl has a mom who can't or won't be involved. But just the idea of having an adult guardian per girl, her adult guardian, in fact, is completely reasonable. That is not even unusual for daisies. So if that helps, just do it. Now, this brings me to another point that the leader suggested in her own question, and that is handpicking certain girls' parents to come to a meeting or event because that particular girl has added challenges in a group scenario. Sometimes this is what the girl needs. So especially with different abilities, both mentally and physically, this can be completely appropriate and in fact critical for the girl and her family to have success in Girl Scouts. I'm never going to say you can't or shouldn't because sometimes it is absolutely the best thing. But in nearly, if not all 100% of those scenarios, it should be her family telling you that that's what the girl needs, not you telling her family. Now, I can understand the temptation here. If mom or dad comes to the troop meeting, they're either A, going to see for themselves the problematic behavior, and then they'll be forced to take corrective action and also to believe you, right? Or B, the girl's going to act differently when mom or dad is present, and therefore the problematic behavior will be eliminated. Either way, that will help solve the problem, right? But let's think this one through. Is mom or dad going to continue to come to every meeting or event from here on out? If not, then we still need to come up with some strategies to position that girl and our group as a whole for success. Also, let's think about how that girl is going to feel. Extremely singled out, watched like a hawk, probably embarrassed. And maybe in your mind, you're frustrated enough to feel like she should be embarrassed. I know I personally reached a level with a few of my fourth graders last year where I truly felt like they are old enough to know better. But still, I just want it to be present of mind how the girl is going to feel if only her parent is asked to attend meetings, not as a leader, but as a watchdog. <laughs> Furthermore, what if the parents won't attend? That's what it sounds like is happening in this leader's scenario. Then you accomplish nothing except you really damaged the trust relationship that needs to exist between you and the parents or guardians. On that note, I want to talk about the idea of emails to parents about behavioral problems. This is a tough one because I don't know how to say this without it sounding harsh, and that is never my goal. But I'm just going to put it out there that all that does is diminish the trust relationship between you and the other parents and guardians. Now, sometimes it's necessary. Anytime I have had to scold or behavior correct a girl one-on-one, -on -one, I do let the parent or guardian know what happened and how I handled it because I want it documented and I know that girl will go home and could potentially tell her own version of the story so I want it to be on record with the parent what my version of the story is but it is always structured just like that so here's an example hi mom just wanted to let you know that Susie and I had a little incident tonight I witnessed x y and z and pulled her aside to chat I let her know that Girl Scouts cannot x y and z and that the repercussions would have to be a b and c she was definitely disappointed about A, B, and C, but I stood firm in my decision and we moved forward. I think her feelings were a bit hurt because she was quiet for the rest of the meeting and did not say goodbye to me when she left. 
Just wanted to make sure you were aware that we did in fact have a conversation and that this is what I said, sparked by her behavior X, in case she is still upset about it when she gets home. Please don't hesitate to let me know if there is anything you notice or discuss outside of Girl Scouts that may be relevant so I can help support her and you to the best of my abilities. See you soon. Now here are some critical pieces of this. First of all, it's descriptive of the cause and effect. Part one led to part two. Her behavior led to my reaction. Also, it's trust building. I'm informing in a way that spells out that I have control over the situation and that I am taking care of the girls when mom is not around. We all know as parents that that is something we always worry about when our kids are in the care of other adults. And finally, it builds a partnership, or at least it tries to. I want to establish that we are partners and that I'm on the parent's side. We are helping to build a girl of courage, confidence, and character together. This opens the door for the parent to confide in me when she notices things going on at home, and it also establishes that we're on the same side instead of working against each other. Now compare that messaging to the one of, your kid is out of control, I need your help to manage her. It's just a totally different impact. Similarly, similarly, I do not email the whole group to talk about behavior issues as a whole. I'm trying to think of a scenario where I might do that, but honestly, there is no version where I can think of that actually being productive. If the entire group was a mess, I would still probably email individual parents to talk about the girls as individuals because, once again, your success is completely dependent on a firm trust relationship between you and the parents of the girls in your troop. How does it come across when you're like, hey, all parents, the troop is insane, behavior is nuts, meetings are out of control. That's basically saying I do not have control over the safety and well-being of these girls at meetings. Instead, messaging each family about individual girls, like I mentioned a few moments ago, is going to be way more effective. And this is really bringing me around to my original thoughts and response to the entire issue. It is always going to be the most effective to dial in on each specific girl as an individual human. Now, this is hard, especially if you're really basically leading your troop by yourself, and double especially if you're new. But... Regardless of how challenging it is, it is true that each girl is showing up with their own individuality. What's going on in their minds, their bodies, their hearts, at home, at school, with their friends, how they're raised and socialized, that's all completely and totally different. Even if two girls are identical twins, they're still going to have their own unique perspectives and obstacles. And every single girl, despite what challenges she might be up against, deserves a safe space in this world. And that is what Girl Scouts provide. Provides. This is going to be a little difficult, but ready? Let go of the idea that the point of Girl Scouts or the point of a troop meeting or the point of a field trip is to get something done or to accomplish something or to earn a badge. That is not the point. The point is is to learn and grow and build relationships with each other and with adults they can trust. The point is to learn to have a healthy relationship with herself and with her peers. The point is to be well-positioned to pursue her full potential as she grows up so that she can dream big and then actually accomplish those dreams. Badge work and other activities are just vehicles to get that kind of growth. Once we truly let go of the idea of getting stuff done and truly embrace the idea of creating a safe space for girls to be girls, to learn about themselves and to connect with others, this all gets 10 times easier. 
All right, I have two stories for you, which I'm going to weave in some strategies here, and then I'm going to wrap up this episode. The first story I have actually told on this podcast once before, but anyway, a little over a year ago, probably going on a year and a half ago at this point, I came home from a meeting completely defeated. My co-leader at the time and I stood in the parking lot for about 30 minutes after all the girls had been picked up and just collectively worried about how we were doing. We were frustrated, sad, overwhelmed, and we both felt ready to give up. We agreed we would never quit mid-year on the girls, but that we truly didn't know if there was a future for our troop after last year. My co-leader in particular was so down on herself. She was asking me questions like, why do they walk all over me? Why am I such a doormat? And I was feeling like, why am I always the bad guy? Why do I spend the whole meeting yelling? How is that fun or productive for anyone? So I came home in a terrible mood, and this was rare because for me, Girl Scouts usually gives me energy, but this was a particularly rough meeting that actually took energy from me. And I'm telling you this because I know so many of you can relate to these kind of moments. So my significant other was home, and he asked me how it went, and I launched into a rant. We didn't get anything done, three different age groups, and absolutely none of them got through the badge work that they chose. They were more interested in talking to each other than listening to directions and they were running around and even cartwheeling across the room instead of doing the activities they were laughing and carrying on and completely unfocused if we can't get any of this stuff done what is the point i'm not doing this so the girls can have a cartwheeling social hour this is not meant to be a play date they don't need me or girl scouts just to play this is supposed to be about so much more and i don't even know if they're getting anything out of this because they aren't getting through the activities at all what is the point of this if they aren't getting anything out of it. I would never ever quit mid-year, but I think I might start seriously considering if this is my last year as a troop leader. There are so many other things I could do with my time. So much time goes into this that could be spent doing other things that might have a bigger impact. And my co-leader, she's even more frustrated than I am. She's definitely not going to come back after this. I'll be lucky if she stays for the whole year. And then what do I do? I need to find another co-leader again. I don't know what to do. I just don't know. He watched me as I ranted and he let me talk. But when I kind of just trailed off, he waited a second and then he said words I will never forget. First, he told me, you're not going to (laughs) quit. I said, I might. Think about it. Driving across town for meetings, all the expenses, all the field trips, cookie season. I have so much more time. And he was like, I know, but you're not going to quit. You love Girl Scouts. You are never going to quit. (laughs) And I said, I've always loved the point of Girl Scouts, but seriously, baby, you weren't there. You didn't see. They're out of control. They accomplished nothing. It's getting worse as they get older, not better. They were doing cartwheels across the room. They got nothing done. He said, You didn't start a troop so that the girls could earn badges. You started it so the girls would have a safe space to be girls. That shut me up. I didn't know how to respond to that because it's true, but I was still feeling how I was feeling. (laughs) He went on. I won't disregard how frustrated you are. I know you're frustrated and that's real. But think about this. How do girls act when they're nervous, insecure, unsafe, and intimidated? They sit still, they're quiet, they're polite, they literally sit on their hands. But how do girls act when they're happy, confident, and truly safe and secure? 
They laugh at everything, they talk a lot, and they have so much excitement and positive energy bursting through them that they literally cartwheel across the room. And all I could think in that moment was, wow. (laughs) He said, if your girls are getting sillier and louder as they get older, that's not a sign that it's getting worse. That's a sign that it's getting better. You've done what you set out to do. You have created a safe space where these girls truly feel secure to be themselves. They're complete and utter, silly, wild, creative, happy selves. As a parent to a girl who struggled with feeling accepted and happy her whole childhood, I wish she had had a space with an unrelated adult volunteer who could have encouraged her to find her silly, wild, creative, happy side. Girls who have no confidence withdraw. What you're seeing is the opposite. Now for context, especially if you're new to this podcast and to me, his daughter is grown. So I'm a stepmom to his kids. We also have two teenage boys. His daughter was already pretty much grown by the time I came into the picture. So I really had no part in raising her per se, but I am extremely close to the boys and I've been a big part of their lives growing up for the past several years. And so that leads me to my other story. So my older stepson is now 17 and the younger one is 15. They are completely different from each other, but they are super close. The younger one is basically your all-American boy. He's super social. He's good looking. He plays sports. He gets pretty good grades. He is a total joiner. He wants to be involved in everything and he fits in everywhere he goes. He has lots of friends and he's always been invited to a bunch of like birthday parties and everything like that throughout the year. Now, my older stepson, he has he has really primarily one best friend who he's been best friends with since they were like five or six. He's met some other friends through this one best friend. And now as a senior in high school, he's therefore the most social he's ever been. But we're talking like a group of four to seven guys tops. He has always struggled in school. He's very, very bright, probably the brightest of all three siblings, to be honest, but he's easily bored and especially when he's unchallenged. He is also naturally very loud and has a lot of energy. So as a smaller kid, but even now, but especially as a smaller kid, he was constantly tapping his foot or his fingers on the desk or fidgeting with things. He can't sit still very long. And like I said, he gets bored really easily and quickly. By now, he also has a bit of a temper and will shout or be snarky if he feels attacked. He's a middle child of three, and definitely all of the middle child syndrome things are super true. Now, I'm telling you all of this, even though I don't usually get this personal on here, and even though he's a boy and clearly not a Girl Scout, because the whole time I was reading this leader's question and some of the responses from other leaders, I just kept on thinking about my stepson. You see, nothing about his behavior is really inherently bad. Sometimes his temper can get out of control where he shouts or is unnecessarily mean to other kids or especially adults or authority figures. So, okay, that's problematic and needs some shepherding. But as a small child, especially, he was yelled at, scolded, punished all the time, which honestly has probably caused his temper now. And really, he was never a bad person. He wasn't committing any behaviors that were inherently criminal or cruel. He wasn't bullying. He wasn't pushing or shoving or hitting. 
He wasn't stealing or breaking things. He simply couldn't sit still, stay focused, or speak quietly. <laughs> so basically, he was super frustrating for overtaxed teachers with huge class sizes that had a curriculum to get through. He could ace any test, but he couldn't stay focused in class, and he would speak out of turn, and he would move around a lot, and that drove every single teacher or adult authority figure crazy. He was constantly in trouble, and his parents, his biological parents, got calls all the time about how disruptive he was. My partner said he literally stopped going to parent-teacher conferences by the end of elementary school because he was so sick of everyone telling him what a bad kid his son was, when really his son wasn't being a bad person. He was just hyper and unfocused. Now, I'm saying this because it sounds to me like the girls described in this particular question are a lot like my stepson was growing up, and I want to use him as a cautionary tale because I came into his life in middle school, and back then, and even to this day, he and his siblings all had this innate understanding that he is the bad one and they are the good ones especially between the two boys the younger brother is the golden child who does everything right and the older brother is bad and problematic and frustrating like this is now his understanding of his own identity I know it is frustrating and I know it feels unfair to the other kids who are focused and quiet and sit still. I know those kids are the kids who challenge us and make things hard to do as a group, but these are the kids who need the safe space of Girl Scouting the most. They need your attention, your affection, and your commitment. They need adults who see them, believe in them, and who they can count on and rely on. So, I'm trying my best to be that person in my stepson's life, and it's made us very close. I helped him get his first job when he thought no one would want to hire him because he naturally believed he was inherently a problem. I simply told him I believed in him and complimented all the things about him that are great, how smart and bright and funny he is, what a natural problem solver he is, how talented he is in the kitchen, and when he got his first two job offers, he basically ran inside the door shouting with excitement because he wanted to tell me the good news first. He and I are now very close because I get to be an adult in his life besides his biological parents who actually sees him and focuses attention and affection toward him and I encourage him to be the best version of himself. Now again, this is so much easier said than done, but we have the opportunity to be this person for the girls in our troop. If any of his teachers or coaches or anything had been that person for him, I truly believe things could have been different for him psychologically, and that would impact his overall success and confidence in life. And especially as a volunteer who is theoretically involved in these girls' lives for several years, this is a huge opportunity for us. The kids in question in this troop leader's post are probably exhibiting the same behavior at school and in other activities and extracurriculars and who knows maybe even at home they're probably yelled at and in trouble all the time they come to girl scouts and it's just more of the same and guess what by reinforcing to a kid over and over and over that they are horrible terrible no good very bad kids they start to believe it and then they make it true they start to exhibit more and more behaviors that align with the truth that they have come to know and believe about themselves which is that they are quote unquote bad do we honestly think that any kid is going to suddenly start showing up differently when all they've experienced from us and other adults is to be yelled at and scolded and put in time out and so on and so forth all the time? So here's how I've done this in my troop because it can be hard because most of the time the resentment and frustration you feel inside can make it extra challenging to love those kids extra. But 
but it is so necessary for their sake and therefore by association for your own sake. So the first thing I try to do is trick myself into believing that kids who are the most challenging are my favorites. And I know that we aren't really supposed to have favorites in our troops or our classes or whatever, but of course it's easier to bond with some kids than others, and the kids we bond with are the ones we feel closest to, and the kids who feel closest to us. So I put energy and effort into telling myself that these kids are my favorite. I tell myself positive things about them, what makes them unique and special and awesome, and then I repeat those things to them. I have to repeat those things to myself and to them several times in order for both of us to really hear it and believe it. You are so confident and I love that about you. It is so great that you are so confident about who you are. I'm so proud of you for being confident enough to speak up in a group and to be yourself. I know it's hard to feel confident all the time, so I want you to know that I recognize you for putting yourself out there. Eventually, when that outspoken girl who needs to be the constant center of attention speaks out again, I find myself smiling because I really am proud of her. Also, another thing to keep in mind, psychologically, kids need three to seven positive experiences to counteract a negative one. So for every time you have scolded or yelled at a child, in order to counteract the negative consequences on that child's well-being, you have to recognize and appreciate and show affection to them three to seven times. Think about the kids in your troop who are the most challenging for you. Are you doing this? Because if not, you're hurting them and your relationship with them without even meaning to. All you're trying to do is correct behavior. But again, yelling at or scolding a child over and over will hardly encourage them to suddenly start showing up differently and caring about making you proud. When kids feel close to us, safe with us, and believe and trust that we care about them, suddenly it becomes way more important to them to make you proud, to respect you, and to be the best version of themselves. Finally, my last piece of advice. Don't refer to some behavior as bad and other behavior as good. It's okay if you get frustrated. We all do. Believe me. It's okay if you're tired. It's okay if you're mad. But kids aren't good or bad. They're just kids. And they are so impressionable. So they can be loud or quiet, aggressive or passive, enthusiastic or disengaged, hyper or calm, and everything in between but they are not good or bad. And there is healthy and unhealthy versions of all of those traits. When we tell kids that they shouldn't be however they naturally feel inclined to be, especially girls, we are contributing to all of the messaging that they are getting from every angle of the world, telling them that they aren't good enough. That actually encourages kids to fail and it completely undermines their self-esteem. Let's create a completely different space in Girl Scouts where all girls are welcome and encouraged, but we help mold and shape and build them up to be the best version of whoever they naturally are. All right, that's all I've got for today. I hope this meant something to somebody. Leave me a review and let me know if this was a helpful episode for you. And if you have anything to add to the discussion about behavior management, please hop into our Facebook group and share your thoughts. Have a great day, everybody.